name. Hello, saints. Good to be back in New Zealand again. Um, saints, I feel that this particular conference is very special, and uh, I'm so glad my wife Ruthie got to come with me. You know, she wasn't going to come. She was supposed to have hip replacement surgery, but then that got that got postponed, and now she's going to have Christ replacement surgery. <laughs> you get a more Christ. We're going to be replaced more by Christ, Ruthie and I. Okay. Now, anyway, saints, um, if you look at the title, just look at the general subject with me. It's uh, living in the reality of the body of Christ by learning Christ as the reality is in Jesus. Now, we might feel that this this uh, phrase, learning Christ as the reality is in Jesus, uh This might seem to be a difficult concept for us. In fact, uh, Brother Peter was pointing out to me that in 1978, um, Brother Lee released uh, the Life Study of Ephesians. And he was, I was there with him in Anaheim when Brother Lee released these messages. And Peter was pointing out, and I still remember this. And if you look in the Life Study, there's a Life Study called Learning Christ as the Reality is in Jesus. If you read on, he keeps coming back to it. He keeps coming back to it because he realized that the saints haven't gotten this. I shared it, but the saints really haven't enter, entered into it, and they haven't gotten it. Well, here we are 45 years later, and I believe that the Lord ha- is bringing this, has brought, and is bringing this into full focus in our revelation and in our experience and enjoyment of Christ. Now, uh, saints, I would say three things. You know, Peter and I were, were, Peter was telling me, and I was in the same boat as he was then. You know, we were, we were younger brothers then, Peter and I. We look, you know, we've all had, we have gray hair now and everything, but we were much younger then. It's 1978. You know, young brothers have a tendency to get in their minds. You know, I'm sorry, the brothers, uh, I say that as a young brother. Am I right, young brothers? See, I can tell you. <laughs> it's okay, brother. I was the same place you were when I was sitting there. Brothers, exercise your spirit in this meeting. Take care of your spirit. Number one, your spirit, right? Your mind is second. Okay, now, so Peter and I were saying, man, that was just so hard for us to see that. And we tried to study it. The more we studied it, we couldn't see it. But saints, we cannot understand these things with our natural understanding, with our natural mind, by our natural strength. This is a matter of divine revelation. Uh, revelation is a gift from God. Uh, we are not in the Lord's recovery receiving mere information. We are receiving revelation. And um, so I was telling the brothers, you know, we were praying together uh before the meeting, and as we were praying, these three verses came to me. One is Second Corinthians eleven three. Second Corinthians eleven two and three. Let me go back to two. Paul said, "I am jealous over you with a jealousy of God, for I have betrothed you to one husband to present you as a pure version to Christ." Now, one of the greatest signs of the New Testament ministry 
is that it stirs you up to love the Lord Jesus. Now, if you read a life study, you you know, and, and the life study just brings you into this wonderful book, right? It doesn't, the ministry does not replace this book. The ministry opens up this book. The ministry opens up the Bible. The ministry releases the riches in the Bible. The ministry brings you into the intrinsic significance and essence of the Bible. And the ministry brings all the verses in this Bible into your being to make them your living reality. That's what the New Testament ministry does. Well, one big sign of the New Testament ministry is in 2 Corinthians 11 too. It stirs us up to love the Lord Jesus. Now, if you go to the library of a seminary and, you know, and you read a book there, you know, um, I don't know if it's going to stir you up to love the Lord Jesus or not. But if you read a life study, it's almost impossible to read a life study and not say, Lord Jesus, I love you at one point during your reading, whether it's at the beginning, midway, the end. The ministry always stirs you up to love the Lord Jesus. But that's verse 2. Now, verse 3, Paul says this to the Corinthians. He says, but I fear, I fear, lest as the serpent deceived Eve, your thoughts would also be corrupted from the simplicity and purity in Christ. Now, here's what I want to speak to you about. I just mentioned the simplicity in Christ. You see, when you're a lover of the Lord Jesus, you're a, you're a simple lover of the Lord Jesus. Nothing is complicated when you're loving the Lord Jesus. Nothing is complicated. Uh, when you, uh, you know, brothers, you just consider, uh, you don't have to, you know, I'm not going to point anybody out, but you consider your wife when you're courting your wife. Everything was not complicated. You just knew you love. I'm talking about right before you got married. Hopefully you love your wife even more. But for sure, before you got married and you were courting your wife, that's all you could think about. You just, you just, uh, you were just so simple. You were uncomplicated. Uh, I still remember in my dorm room, uh, the men's dorm was over here and the women's dorm was over there. And Ruthie's dorm, I, I could still, I could, I knew what room she was in. So I'd look at the window, I'd go, wonder what she's doing tonight, you know, because <laughs> I loved her so much. She didn't know I loved her. She said, oh, I was just your friend. I said, there's no such thing as a, as a, as a brother or sister being friends. You know, Maybe there is, but the brothers never feel that way. They love you. You know what I mean? Anyway, I don't know. I, I think if you ask her, she... She might say a little bit differently, but she she said, oh, I was your friend. I said, sorry, I wasn't your friend. You know, it was love at first sight. Okay, but anyway, when you love someone, there's a simplicity there. When we love the Lord Jesus, there's a simplicity in Christ. It's so, everything's so simple. I just love the Lord. And so that's why every day we need to give ourselves to love the Lord Jesus. Lord, I give myself today just to simply love you. You remember in Life and Building in the Song of Songs, Brother Lee said something like this, no other way is so safe and so prevailing as loving the Lord Jesus. And actually loving the Lord Jesus is the way to enjoy the Lord Jesus. So in different places, he says, give yourself to love the Lord Jesus every day and give yourself to enjoy the Lord Jesus every day. That is the simplicity that's in Christ. So I hope we would... Don't take this as a complicated matter. 
what we're getting into. Tell, tell the Lord, Lord, keep me in this, keep me loving you in this conference and keep me in the simplicity that's in Christ. Okay, now the second verse is Psalm 119, verse 130. And I hope we would pray short prayers over, over these points, even in the outline. Psalm 119, verse 130, the psalmist pray, says this to the Lord. He says, the opening of your words gives light. How about that? Don't you want the Lord to open his words to you in this conference? I want to, listen, I'm just telling you, I'm up here, but I want the Lord to open his words up to me. I want to be surprised by the Lord when I'm up here. I want him to open up his words to me, to you. So the opening of his words or the unfold, unfolding of his words gives light. Impart, listen, imparting understanding, does it say to the complicated? Doesn't say that. It says imparting understanding to who? To the simple. That's right, to the simple. So we need to be simple. And so the Lord will unfold his word to us this weekend, and he will impart enlightened understanding. You know, the light from our spirit gets into our mind, and it enlightens our mind. Uh, that is what uh, Ephesians 1, 18, I'm sorry, Ephesians 1, 18, 17 says, Father, give me a spirit of wisdom and revelation. Then verse 18 says that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened. That's your mind. The eyes of your heart may be enlightened. So uh, the opening of your words gives light, not imparting understanding to the complicated, but imparting understanding to the simple. You consider the 12 disciples, they were fishermen, right? The Lord didn't say, oh, this is too high for them. They can't understand this. No, they, they were lovers of Jesus. They followed the Lord Jesus. You know, even Peter didn't know what he was doing a lot of times. You know, Peter always encourages me because he made a lot of mistakes. And um, in John 6, when the Lord was telling his disciples to eat him, he said, he who eats me shall live because of me. And it says during that time, a lot of people that were following him says, oh, that's it. We're not following him anymore because this person is telling us to eat him. Now, that Greek word for eat is masticate. Not just eat, masticate. You know what masticate means? It means you take your food into your front here, and then the food goes back to your molars, if you have molars. And it goes back to your molars. Maybe some of you are into dentistry. You know better than I do. It goes back to your molars, and then the food gets liquefied by chewing it on your molars. It goes to your stomach. It's very easily digestible and assimilatable to become a part of your cell structure. So you masticate Christ, you digest Christ, you assimilate Christ, and you live Christ. So here's what the Lord was saying, and people say, this man wants us to masticate him. And so, you know, a lot of them left, and then the Lord turned to Peter and, and the other ones, and he said, are you going to leave us, leave me also? No, first he did this. They should have stuck around because they would have gotten the exp explanation. He, the Lord said this in John 6, 63. He said, the flesh profits nothing. I'm not talking about eating my flesh. The flesh profits nothing. It is the spirit who gives life. Life there is Zoe, the eternal life. It is the spirit who gives Zoe. 
The words that I speak to you, they are spirit and they are life. He was talking to us about taking himself in as the spirit through his words, which are spirit and life. So the way to eat him is our spiritual food. He is our spiritual food. I would say it this way. He is our spirit food. Our food is the spirit. How do we eat that food? His words are spirit and life. But then he said to the disciples, he said, are you going to leave me too? And so Peter said, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. So he stuck with the Lord, even though, you know, he might not have fully understood everything. But uh, again, the opening of your words gives light, imparting understanding to the simple. Now, here's the third verse that I, I thought of, even as I was praying with the brothers, and that's Luke 24, 45. Uh, you know, there are two times uh, with those this two disciples that walk with him on the road to Emmaus. Um, uh, you know, they were, he started walking, you know, with them. And then he said, what's going on? Why are you so upset? He said, what's wrong with you? You haven't heard what happened in Jerusalem? Of course, he just died in Jerusalem on the cross, right? So they're talking to him like this. And then then he said something like this to them. He said, oh, foolish, oh, foolish and slow of heart to believe what the scriptures have said, you know, in the law, the prophets, and the Psalms concerning Christ. Uh, and then it says, you know, and then he shared with them, and they were uh, the things concerning himself in the scriptures. They were just like, whoa, uh, you know, who is this man? You know, but it wasn't until, you know, they said, no, they, he, 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 I, don't, I wouldn't say he pretended, but it was almost like he was testing them. He was going to leave. And they said, no, stay with us. Stay with us. So when he broke the bread to give them, that's when their eyes were open. And they realized this is Jesus. This was Jesus, you know. Uh, okay. Then he was in the upper room uh, with, with the disciples. And it says this, Luke, Luke 24, 45 says this. It says, then he opened their mind to understand the scriptures. So, see, we shouldn't think we can understand the scriptures with our natural mentality, with our natural intelligence. Uh, we have to pray a short prayer, Lord, open my mind this weekend to understand the scriptures. Uh, it's not a matter of how intelligent you are. If you're in the Mensa Society, I don't know, if you know, you know, maybe in New Zealand, you know what the Mensa Society is? Are you in the Mensa Society, Tommy? Neither am I. And neither was Peter and James and John. They weren't that, you know. But uh, if we, if the Lord opens our mind, that is a great, great thing. The Lord himself needs to open our mind to understand the scriptures. And if we pray that, he'll do it. He will do it, brothers and sisters. I'm so impressed always that this book, the, the Bible means the book. Right, the book, and the book is uh, is God's last will and testament to us. So everything in this book has been willed to us, has been willed to us. We're we're uh, uh, brothers. I, I always do this. Forgive me. I always forget. You got a millionaire, 
You got a trillionaire, then what's after a trillionaire, brother? Quadrillion? Quadrillionaire. What's after quadrillionaire? Quintillionaire. Then what? Sextillion. Sextillion? Okay, I'm going to stop there. Sextillion. So a sextillionaire. You imagine? Now, what if you were, what's before sextillionaire? No, before. Quintillionaire. Quintillionaire. I think that's a little bit more uh, palatable. Okay. Quintillionaire. Let's say you're a quintillionaire. And you walk around and say, oh, I wish I had some money to buy a hot dog. You know, that would be ridiculous. When you're a quintillionaire, there's a quintillion dollars in your bank account. Saints, what is our bank account? Our bank account is our human spirit. All the unsearchable riches of Christ are in our spirit. Now, all we have to do is write checks. Just write a check. You've got the unsearchable riches of Christ in your bank account. How do you write a check? You pray these promises back to the Lord. That is real pray reading. Now, pray reading, you know, if we have group pray reading, that we repeat a lot, right? That you could say that we repeat, we repeat, that's repeat reading. But we need to have personal pray reading and our personal time with the Lord. And then our personal time with the Lord, our pray reading should be our praying back, praying his words back to him. You see, personalizing his words. Uh where um where you, where you know like I said Luke 24:45 you you know maybe you read this verse and you say oh Lord Jesus my mind has been so darkened I've been I've been too much in my mind apart from my spirit Lord forgive me dear Lord Jesus open my mind this morning to understand the scriptures you know what I believe when you pray a prayer like that the Lord's clapping I have been waiting for someone to pray a prayer like this to me. Pray, pray your will back to him. This is the way we cash checks, you know, in, in, in all the riches the Lord has given us. Okay, now, so uh, the title is Learning Christ as the Reality is in Jesus. We'll talk about what this means by the spirit of reality, to live the life of a God-man for the fulfillment of God's eternal economy. All right, now, I want you to follow closely, Roman Roman one, with the exercise of your spirit, right? We do two things, always. Turn your heart to the Lord, the veil is taken away. Exercise your spirit. Take heed to your spirit. Whenever the heart turns to the Lord, where's the Lord? The Lord is in our spirit, right? Whenever our heart turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. And we all, with unveiled face, beholding and reflecting, as a mirror, the glory of the Lord are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another degree of glory, even as from the Lord's spirit, brothers. These are my Dallas brothers right here. They flew all the way to Dallas for one of the feasts, right, brothers? Were you sitting on the front row? You were sitting on the front row when I was sharing, weren't you? I'm so happy, brothers. That's why I was so energized. Two young people sitting on the front row, so exercised. Okay, now, let's turn our heart to the Lord while I read to you, Roman number one, exercise our spirit. The desire of God's heart. What is the, Don't you want to know the desire of God's heart? When we say the desire of God's heart, what do we mean? We mean what makes God happy. 
What makes God happy is the desire of his heart. That is his good pleasure. So the desire of God's heart is that the reality in Jesus, this is from Ephesians 4.21, is that the reality in Jesus, the God-man living of Jesus as recorded in the four Gospels. This tells us what the reality in Jesus is. This is an, an, an apposition. The reality in Jesus is the God-man living of Jesus as recorded in the four Gospels. So the desire of God's heart is that the reality in Jesus or the God-man living of Jesus as recorded in the four Gospels would be duplicated in the many members of Christ's body. How? By the spirit of reality to become the reality of the body of Christ, the highest peak in God's economy. Isn't that wonderful? To me, that's wonderful. That's the simplicity in Christ. It's not complicated. Now, I want you to notice the word reality is used one, two, three times in that in that Roman numeral. Three times the word reality is used. Okay. Now, uh, let's come to A. And we could proceed. We could pray a simple prayer of Roman numeral one. We could say, Lord, make the desire of your heart the desire of my heart. Infuse me with your desire, Lord. Uh, I want the rea- I want the God man living of Jesus to be duplicated in me, Lord. Duplicate your God man living in me, Lord, by the spirit of reality. So that together with the saints, I can become, we can become the reality of the body of Christ. Okay. Now A says, now, now again, uh, Ephesians 4, 20 through 21 has these, uh, whatever phrases in them. It says, learn Christ as the reality is in Jesus. So, A says, the reality is in Jesus. And let me just say this. It says, learn Christ in Ephesians 4.20. It doesn't say, learn about Christ. It says, learn Christ. There's a big difference between learning about something and learning something. Just like I ate with a brother's last night. I still don't know what I was eating. But Ashley, is Ashley here? Where's Ashley? Oh, anyway, maybe he couldn't make it tonight. Couldn't make it tonight. You need to share with him about this meeting. Okay, anyway, um, I love Brother Ashley. Ashley gets me a plate of food. And, and, and on this plate, there's something yellow on the plate. He said, Brother Ed, this is delicious. I said, what is it? He goes, I don't know. <laughs> he said, but it's like custard. It's like custard. Oh. I started eating. I said, this is delicious. What was what's the name of that, Peter? Cheesecake. You know, cheesecake in America is totally different. <laughs> <laughs> you use real cheese, right? <laughs> right. Okay. So, oh, but it was so delicious. Have some more, Ed. And I said, why don't you have some more? I got to watch my weight, brother. You know, <laughs> I have to watch my weight, too. Okay, anyway. So um, so I'm eating this, and, and brothers, I wasn't learning about what I was eating. I was learning what I was eating. In other words, to learn Christ is to learn him by experience, is to, is to enjoy him, is to experience him, is to express him, to learn Christ. You know, like Peter, before the meeting last night, did you buy three boxes of pizza at P-Time? 
He brought three boxes of pizza at Pizza Hut. And I said, oh, I really love pizza. He said, Ed, this is for the young people. <laughs> and Peter said to me, I said, well, I'm a young person, you know. Then I reminded him, and Peter knows his dictator loved pineapple pizza. Whenever he would take me out, he'd take me to pizza, and he'd always get pineapple pizza. And so, uh, anyway, I love Dick. I, I really love that brother. Okay, anyway, uh, uh, you don't learn about pizza when you eat pizza. You learn pizza. You see, pizza, you experience pizza. You enjoy pizza. Eventually, you express pizza, you know. <laughs> but you learn pizza. You, that means you experience pizza. You enjoy pizza. So, uh, to learn Christ as the reality is in Jesus. Now, he says, the reality is in Jesus refers to the actual condition of the life of Jesus as recorded in the four Gospels. Jesus lived a life in which he did everything in God, with God, and for God. God was in his living, and he was one with God. This is what is meant by the reality is in Jesus. So, saints, when, when we read the book, and I think a lot of us have read this book, if you haven't it, I encourage you to read it prayerfully. It's called The God-Man Living. The God-Man Living. Now, if you think about that book, The God-Man Living, you might think, well, you know, this book is going to tell me how to have the God-Man Living. But every chapter is about the Lord Jesus' God-Man Living. Every chapter. And many chapters, the title of it is A Man of Prayer. A Man of Prayer. A man of prayer. Now, why is it all about the Lord Jesus? Because that living that Jesus had in the four Gospels is the reality in Jesus. That's the actual condition of the life of Jesus as recorded in the four Gospels that the Lord wants to duplicate in us. How does he duplicate that living in us? He does it by himself as the spirit of reality. You remember John 16, 13, uh, it says, when he, the spirit of reality, comes. I love this. This is one of the functions of the spirit. When he, the spirit of reality, comes, he will guide you into all the reality. That's one of the marvelous functions of the spirit. He guides you into all the reality. And what is part of that reality is the reality in Jesus. When you exercise your spirit, that that the spirit of reality in your spirit uh, gets activated, and that spirit of reality guides you into all the reality. It guides you into the reality is in Jesus. It guides you into the actual condition of the life of Jesus as recorded in the four Gospels, so that that very life that we see and read about in the four Gospels gets duplicated in us to become the reality of the body of Christ, which is the highest peak in God's economy. Isn't that wonderful? That is absolutely wonderful. Okay, now let's come to one and see what kind of life the Lord Jesus lived. Now remember, this this person is in our spirit. This person is in our spirit. So we need to remember this. The Lord Jesus did not do anything out of himself. He did not do his own work. He did not speak his own word. He did everything not by his own will. And he did not seek his own glory. He was never disappointed because he was satisfied only with God. 
And saints, all these verses, I won't read all these verses to you, but um, but they're all very, very precious, and I would encourage you to read them all, pray short prayers over them. You know, like John 4.34, he said, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. That was the Lord's spiritual food. It was to do the Father's will. It was to finish the Father's work. That's how the Lord was fed by the Father. Um, okay, then, then listen to this verse. I have this verse down. And this, most of us don't, we don't think about this. In John 17, 4, you know, when the Lord is praying, he said, "I, Father, I have glorified you on earth, finishing the work which you have given me to do. Now, most of the time, correctly speaking, we always think of what the Lord said on the cross. It is finished, right? Which means he finished the work of redemption on the cross. It is finished. But there was another work that he finished before the work of redemption on the cross. And that is spoken of in John 17, 4. I have glorified you on earth, finishing the work which you have given me to do. What is, what is the work there? The work there is to glorify the Father on earth. The work there is to live the life of a God-man. He was the first one to have a God-man living. And that life, that living, was his work. So our living is our work. Our life is our work. Uh, so our life is to glorify God on the earth. And we want to finish the Lord's work, you know, for us to finish the Lord's work while while he leaves us on the earth is to glorify him on earth. And so that's why First uh, Corinthians 10, 31, Paul says, whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. In other words, whatever you do, you need to glorify God. You need to express God. Whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. You eat eat to the glory of God. You drink, drink to the glory of God. Whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. Now, there's another verse that's very precious to me, and then as I, I don't have this on here, but it's Isaiah 43, verse 7. Isaiah 43, verse 7. Uh, the Lord through Isaiah says this. Uh, God says this. I have created, formed, and even made you for my glory. I really like that. I have created you for my glory. I have formed you for my glory. I have even made you for my glory. And what is glory? Glory is the expression of God. Glory, you could say, is the corporate expression of God. So he he created us, he made, he formed us, and he even made us for his glory. If we're not expressing God, we're missing the meaning of our of our human existence. We, God put us on the earth to be so that we can be filled with God, saturated with God, soaked with God, united with God, mingled with God, and incorporated with God for the glory of God, so that we can express God. Okay, now, related to the Lord not being discouraged, you know, one day I was serving at Living Street Ministry. I was in Irving at the time, and um, I don't know why. I can't remember. But uh, what the situation was, but I, I felt very discouraged. And um, 
I just was discouraged. I still remember that. All of a sudden, something comes into me in the mail. A message by Brother Nee, you know, Xerox. Open it up. It says, the Lord is never discouraged. I said, I better read this. <laughs> you know, I don't feel discouraged. But the Lord is never discouraged. Well, that comes from Isaiah 42.4. He will not faint, nor will he be discouraged until he has established justice in the earth. And see, what this point says is he was never disappointed because he was satisfied only with God. As long as he had the Father's presence, he was satisfied. So he was never discouraged. Now, I've got this verse on here, another verse from Isaiah. Isaiah 53, 2 says that Jesus was like a root out of dry ground. And what does that mean? That means that in his environment, everything was dry. There was nothing in his environment to satisfy him. So he was a root, you know, who grew down and was tapped. He was tapped into the, into the water reservoir of God the Father. God the Father was the one who uniquely satisfied him. He wasn't looking for something in his environment to satisfy him. See, this is why we get disappointed. We're looking for something in our environment that satisfies us. And then we get disappointed. Well, if you're just looking for the Lord and you just want the presence of the Lord, you will never be disappointed. You'll never be disappointed. So uh, that, I'm so glad, the I don't know who sent, what brother sent me that, but boy, the Lord knew what I needed that day. The Lord has never discouraged that. Okay, now, um, okay, I'll just say that much. There's a lot of verses there. Now, um, let's come to two. The Lord Jesus was a man of prayer. And again, this is from the God-man living. Uh, being one with God, living in the presence of God without ceasing. See, again, saints, just cast this in. Cast this in. Your bank account is your spirit. Cash, you know, write some checks to God the Father. How do you write the checks? You pray this back. You say, Lord, make me a man of prayer. Lord, make me a person who's one with God. Make me a person who lives in the presence of God without ceasing. See, you write a check, you know, and you've got a, a quadrillion dollars in your bank account. Did I say that right, Toby? Quadrillion? Yeah, okay. More than a quadrillion, of course. He trusted, trusting in God and not in himself under any kind of suffering persecution. And I love this. And being one in whom Satan, the ruler of the world, had nothing. I'm telling you, saints, John 14, 30, B. This is John 14, 30, verse B. When, when after Brother Lee shared this, Oh, this verse is so precious to me. The ruler of the world is coming. But in me, he has nothing. In me, he has nothing. In me, Christ. Now, let me just, you don't have to answer this question. This is a rhetorical question. Where are you tonight? You are in Christ, right? And Christ says, in me. And where are you? You're in that me. You're in Christ. In me, he has nothing. What does that mean? He has no ground. He has no hope. 
He has no chance. He has no possibility in anything. So when we, saints, when we are in our spirit, we exercise our spirit, we are in our spirit, we are in Christ in a practical way. And when we are in Christ, in this Christ, Satan has nothing. That means when you're in your spirit, Satan has no ground in you. He has no chance with you. He has no possibility with you in anything, in anything. You know, um, Brother Nee gave this example uh, one time of, um, how do I say this? Okay, this one army had modern warfare weapons like tanks. All The other army just had rifles. So what would the other army do? Here comes someone in a tank. And so uh, this soldier would take his rifle and shoot it at the tank. And it would go ping. Of course, what are you going to do? You can't pierce a tank with your rifle. Why was he doing that? Ping. Nothing happened. Ping. Nothing happened. Ping. Nothing happened. Then the guy, the man in the tank, he gets curious. What's going on out there? He opens the tank. Ping, you're dead. <laughs> Brothers and sisters, stay in the tank of your spirit. No matter how many pings there are. You see, Satan has no ground in Christ. And when you're in your spirit, you are in the tank of your spirit. You are in Christ. And in Christ, the ruler of, the, of this world has nothing. That means he has no ground, no chance, no home, and no possibility in anything. Okay, now let's come to A under this point. A says, he was a man in the flesh, praying to the mysterious God in the divine and mystical realm. He often went to the mountain or withdrew to a private place to pray. And saints, I have marked... Matthew 14, 23 on here, I would add verse 22, you know, because in verse 22, this is after he fed the 5,000. Now, we're just talking about 5,000 men. It doesn't include the sisters and their children. So that's a lot of people there, right? And so he told the disciples, uh, he said, okay, you know, they told him, you know, we're out here in the wilderness. How are we going to take care of all these people? He said, feed them. And, and they said, Lord, what do you mean feed them? You know, we have all we have is five loaves and two fish. He said, bring them to me, right? Bring them to me, the five loaves and the two fish. He breaks the loaves. You know, he has the two fish. He looks up to heaven. You know, this is very significant. He looks up to heaven and he blesses them. You see, looked up to heaven and he blessed them. Then they began distributing to all these people, at least 5,000 brothers plus the women, plus the children. They didn't run out of every anything. Can you imagine what is going on here? You know what I mean? They're distributing this bread, and they never run out. They distribute the fish. They never run out. And then they had 12 baskets full left over. Now, you know what the Lord said to them? The Lord was very practical. This is practical service. So you're seeing all these wonderful things, but I want you to pick up the leftovers. Pick up the fish, the leftovers of the fish and the bread. This is practical service. Don't leave a mess here. See, that's why in the full-time training you have practical service. You do the dishes, things like sweep the parking lot, 
see things like that. You have to learn how to serve practically. So, um, now if I were the disciples, I'd have said, Lord, this is biodegradable. We don't need to, <laughs> we don't need to pick this up. But the Lord wants everything neat. You have 12 baskets full, right? Uh, so right after he fed the 5,000, now think about this, brothers. If that was us, if we were the Lord, we said, okay, let's have testimonies now. Let's stay here for a week and share about how these five, how these five loaves and two fishes fed 5,000. Such a spectacular meeting. There's never been a meeting in the history of the world like this, nor will there ever be a meeting in the history of the world like this. Let's have testimony. No, the Lord didn't do that. He didn't bask in the, in the, you know, the, the so-called glory of that meeting or in the euphoria, euphoria is a better word, in the euphoria of that meeting. Instead, he sent the disciples across the Lake of Galilee. You know, and her way said, I want you to go across the lake. Then uh, Mark 14, oh, I'm sorry. It says he compelled the disciples. You look at verse 22. I don't have it in front of me. It says he compelled them. That means you guys need to get out of here. He compelled the disciples to go away. Uh, And then he sent the crowds away. And why did he compel the disciples to leave, go depart on the Sea of Galilee? Why did he send the crowds away? You know why? Because he went up to the mountain privately to pray. That's what he wanted to do. So he sent everybody away so he could go up to the mountain. How? Privately. Privately, that's a big word. Go up every day. We need to go up to the mountain. We should have our mountain. Now, that doesn't mean we have a, maybe we have a physical mountain. Well, maybe we don't. But we should have our, quote, quote, mountain. You understand what I mean? Our separated place. He went up to the mountain privately to pray and like this. And when night fell, I love these words. He was there alone. He was there alone. This is why we need to have personal time with the Lord every day. We need to have a private time with the Lord. That word private is there every day. Um, That's why Matthew 6, 6 is such a powerful verse. The Lord says, but you, when you pray, enter into your private room. See, the word private is there again. Enter into your private room and shut your door. And pray to your father who is in secret. See, the word secret is there. And your father who sees in secret shall repay you. That is a verse that you have to practice to be in the reality of the kingdom of the heavens. So, see, we this person is in our spirit. Uh, so so we have to realize we have a person like this. So, So we should pray, Lord, cause me to pray privately to you every day, Lord. I like to have a private time with you every day. I like to be alone with you every day, not so that I can be super spiritual, but for the sake of the body, for the sake of the body. If I don't have a private time with the Lord and I see Dawn Pierce, oh my goodness, it's like, beware of dog on me. You know, you know, you know, there's a, I had a sign on my house in, in Anaheim. You know, when I got to Anaheim, I didn't know where I was going to live. And so, Brother, he told Andrew to give me the keys to my house, which I didn't know what my house was. Andrew said, here's the keys to your house. 
So I go to go to her house, Ruthie and I's house, and on the front of our house was this sign. It says, Beware of Dog. And the, that sign had a picture of a dog on it with fangs. Like, and there was saliva dripping off the fangs of the dog. And so when the United when the UPS, when the UPS or the FedEx guy would deliver a package to our house, the man would look at that sign and he just throw the, he just throw it like this. Like, oh. I'm getting out of here, you know. You know what I thought? I said, that's me when I'm not in my spirit. Beware of dogs. You know, that, that that's a verse in the Bible. Beware of dogs. That's Philippians 3. I think verse 2. Beware of dogs, plural. When you aren't in your spirit, you're a dog. You know, dogs don't have a spirit. You know that, right? You know, as you know, you probably heard me say, I love my dog so much. But he doesn't have a spirit. Uh, When I first got married, my wife used to make me these honeymoon lunches. You know, um, and I know some people criticize me. It always tells the same stories. Okay, maybe that's true. But every time I tell a story, I have the Lord's presence. So, (laughs) all I care about. Okay. (laughs) Maybe you heard this. Listen, Brother Lee, Virginia, Brother Lee told so many stories to us, and we knew he was going to tell the same story. Isn't that right, Virginia? Here he goes. Gotta tell. And we knew it was coming, and we still enjoyed the Lord. And we and I, st- I laughed every time. Brother Lee would tell the same story. Okay, but anyway, forgive me. I'm not justifying myself. I'm just saying here. So she made me these honeymoon lunches. We just got married. The, the paper bag would be bursting with, with, you know, delicious corned beef and all these different delicacies, you know. And so I couldn't wait for lunch. I'm working with the brothers on construction. And so I put my paper bag lunch on the top of our van, you know, that we worked on. So I said, brothers, it's lunchtime. Then we said, well, we always know when it's lunchtime. We have Brother Ed working with us. So I said, brothers, it's lunchtime. And so I said, okay, let's eat lunch. I go out, I look on the van, and my lunch is gone. I look down, and there's this dog licking his lips. He's looking at me. He had eaten my lunch. The the paper bag was with him. It was fully empty. He ate the whole thing. That dog had a honeymoon lunch. And I missed the lunch. He looked up at me. He was licking his lips. It didn't bother him one bit. His his conscience wasn't bothered because he didn't have a conscience. His, it, it, not only that, he was wagging his tail. Now, if, if, if Doug had eaten my lunch, he would say, oh, brother, Ed, I'm sorry. Forgive me. I just couldn't resist. Right? I hope so. Okay. I, I know so. But But the dog, he doesn't have a conscience, you know? So you think about Philippians 3, too. Beware of dogs. Beware of the concision, right? Forget there's another beware. But it's okay. My point is, is it's scriptural to beware of dogs. And so uh, that's why I said I thought about that. This is me when I'm not in my spirit. Okay, now, um, okay. I don't know how that fit into this point, but it fit in some way. <laughs> okay. 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 What what the way it fit in was we need to have a private time to pray every day. 
If you don't, I mean, and I'm, I'm just sharing what the ministry has shared. I mean, Doug, just think, if you don't have a time with the Lord, we should see the Lord before we see any other person. If you don't see the Lord first, your wife has to watch out. Am I right? I'm thinking of myself too, brother. I don't, you know, I want to gaze on the Lord's beauty before I see my wife. You know, uh, otherwise, I don't want my, I don't want my wife to see me before I get infused with God. You know, I don't want before I see any brothers. I want to gaze on the Lord's beauty first and be infused with Him privately, privately. Okay, now B uh, is a marvelous point. The Lord Jesus came to serve us with himself as life. Mark 10, 45 says, The Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve. I love this verse, brothers and sisters, because, you know, don't think about, why Why don't the saints serve me? Why don't the saints serve me? Why don't the saints take care of me? They used to take care of me so much. Now they don't take care of me. They don't even care about me. Well, why don't you serve the saints? You know, I was in the church in Houston, uh, and and uh, everybody me invited me over for meals when I was a single brother. That's probably why I'm so big today. You know, they said, Ed, we want you to come over. Come over to us for this meal, that meal, this meal. And then I, I got married. You know, Mar- Ruthie and I got married. And, you know, a little bit later, I started feeling sorry for myself. I said, Lord Jesus. The saints don't invite me over to eat like they used to. What's wrong? And the Lord said, Ed, you're not a baby anymore. Why don't you invite the saints over to your house? You have you have you have a wife now. You can invite the saints over to your place. I said, You're right, Lord. So I called the saints up when I the first time I invited the saints over. Ruthie remembers this. We did not even have chairs. I had to run to Sears. You know, I don't know if they have that here in New Zealand, but Sears used to be real big, you know, in the U.S. I think it's still in existence. Montgomery Wards is gone. But anyway, Sears, I think, is still there. Okay. But I went to Sears. I had to get chairs, and they were metal chairs. So the saints came over, you know, and the happiest persons in the church life are the ones who serve the saints, you see. I'm not here. The Lord, the Lord says, I, I didn't come to be served. I came to serve. So, uh, you know, Ruthie reminded me, she said, Ed, you forgot. You don't realize that every night there was not a meeting. You invited saints over to eat. So I always say my wife's one of the best cooks in the church life because I invited the saints over to eat. When she started out, she was not the best cook in the church life. One brother said to her, she won't mind me saying this, you know, we were inviting Saint over. Then we invited this brother and his wife over again. And he looked at Ruthie and said, Ruthie, your cooking sure has improved. <laughs> and that's from just practicing, cooking for the saints, you know. It's wonderful they have the saints over. But saints, listen to this. He served us in the past. He's, he serves us in the present. We don't think about this. And he will serve us in the future. So in Mark 10, 45, when it says the Son of Man did not come to to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many, that's in the past. Now, what's in the present? 
In the present is Luke 22, 22, 26, and 27. And in these verses, the Lord says, you know, but you shall not be so, but let the greatest among you become like the youngest, and the one who leads like the one who serves. For who is greater, the one who reclines at table or the one who serves? Is it not the one who reclines at table? But I am in your midst as one who serves. How about that? He's serving us right now. A lot of times we need to pray, Lord, serve me with your presence, Lord. Serve me with your speaking. Uh, I need you to serve me, Lord. We need the Lord to serve us all the time. Um, Now, he serves us in the future. When does he do that? He does that in the millennial kingdom. This is Luke 12, 37. Blessed are those slaves whom the master, when he comes, will find watching. Truly, I tell you that he will gird himself and will have them recline at table and he will come to them and serve them. Saints, we want to be his overcoming bride by the Lord's mercy. If we are his overcomers, the constituents of his overcoming bride, he will serve, he will make us recline at table. He will serve us for a thousand years. Isn't that wonderful? Wonderful. So he served us in the past. He serves us. I'm in your midst as one who serves right now. He's in our midst as one who serves to dispense himself into us. And he will serve us in the future in the millennial kingdom. Okay, now C says the only life that is a delight to God is the life that is a repetition of the life Christ lived on earth. That's the only life that's a a delight to God, a repetition of the life that Christ lived on earth. We are being perfected by the Lord to be God-men, living the divine life by denying our natural life according to the model of Christ as the first God-man. Now, in 1 Peter 2.21, in this verse, the Lord through Peter says, Christ also suffered on your behalf, leaving you a model that you may follow in his steps. Now, this is an outward model for us to imitate. If you look at the footnote on 1 Peter 2.27, that word for model means a writing copy or an underwriting. You know, when you're learning to write, uh, maybe under your paper, there's an underwriting, you know, in beautiful cursive. You know, nowadays people don't, you know, you young people, do you learn how to do this cursive? You don't, do you? You don't know how to do this. But Dawn and I didn't have this. Right, Dawn? So we had to learn how to do this. Dawn, I don't know, I don't know if you remember in third grade, I still remember on the wall, there was an E, an F, a G. You had to learn how to how to how to write those like that. Am I right, Dawn? You learn how to write. Am I right? R-I-G-H-D. I'm right that you learn how to write. And so Dawn can write, and I still can't figure out why doctors, when they write prescriptions, you cannot tell what their name is. You're, wow. What are they, what are they doing? Just, 
The only one who writes a legible prescription as a doctor that I find is Dr. Rick Scatterday. But anyway, maybe others do. Okay, so it's an underwriting saying, so So what that means is something is written under a sheet of paper, a, a kind of a um, a clear sheet of paper, so that you can copy the letters like this, you see. So Christ is the model in our spirit. When we experience him and we, we enjoy him, we are retracing him in a, into our being. He is being written into our being and written into our living. Okay, now let's come to the next point. When we, oh, I love D. When we abide in the love that is God himself, love has been perfected with us. Notice this is a quotation. So that we may have boldness in the day of judgment. Listen to this. Because even as he is, so also are we in this world. So, saints, we can have boldness in the day of judgment at the judgment seat of Christ. Why? Because even as he is, so also are we in this world. In other words, in other words, here Christ is. Even as he is, so also are we in this world. Uh, so, he lives the life of a God-man, and we live the life of a God-man in this world. If by the Lord's mercy... If we allow him as the spirit of reality to guide us into the reality of living the life of a God-man, we will have boldness in the day of judgment. And we will hear him say at the throne, well done, good and faithful slave. Saints, we need to, listen, I prayed over this verse many, many times. Lord, when I stand before your judgment seat, I hope you would pray this. Lord, I want to hear you say, well done good and faithful slave. You were faithful over a few things. I will set you over many things. Enter into the joy of your master. Don't you want to hear the Lord say that to you? When you stand before the judge, we all have to stand before the judgment seat of Christ as believers. Uh, if we pray that prayer, the Lord will honor that prayer. He will honor that prayer. He'll remember that prayer. He'll say, he'll say, brother, Brother Solomon, I remember when you prayed that prayer to me. And I'm going to answer that prayer right now. Enter into the joy of your master, Brother Solomon, for a thousand years. And so, uh, now listen to this. I told one of the coworkers this, uh, who I love. I said, Brother, I'm very concerned for you because you are being spread out too thin. You're over here, you're over there, you're doing this, you're doing that. I said, Brothers, Brother, we're approaching the finish line. You know, he and I are both older brothers now. We're younger brothers. Maybe we could be here, there, everywhere. But as you get older, you need to become more focused. And so the Lord says you were faithful over what? A few things. And I said to this dear brother, I said, brother, we need to pray, Lord, what are the few things that you want me to be faithful over in this life? It doesn't say you were faithful over many things. It says you were faithful over a few things. I will set you over many things. So, brothers and sisters, I hope we would pray that, Lord, what are the few things that you want me to be faithful over in this life while I'm on earth? If we're, if the Lord, if we're, if we obtain mercy of the Lord to be faithful over those few things, 
that he's commissioned us with in the in the kingdom age we will will be faithful over a few things he will set us over many things and we will enter into the joy of our master the top reward in the kingdom is the joy of our master it's our enjoyment of christ for a thousand years which is the uttermost enjoyment of christ in the millennial kingdom okay now um Okay, E, the living of the body of Christ as the new man should be exactly the same as the living of Jesus. The way Jesus lived on earth is the way the body of Christ as the new man should live today. So Ephesians 2.10 says this, we are his masterpiece. How about that? Do you feel like a part of the words masterpiece? You would say, oh, Lord, oh, Ed. I don't feel like I'm part of the masterpiece. I feel like I'm part of the masterpiece. I'm a mess, right? Well, don't say that. The, okay, here's what this brother, brother gave a testimony one time. I like this. He said, you know, sometimes you're driving down the freeway. I don't know what it's like in New Zealand, but in America, you're driving down the freeway, and there's all these yellow cones, you know, and it says men at work, men at work. He said, brothers, we could put a sign on us saying, God at work. (laughs) Go around. God at work. And so, saints, the church is God's masterpiece. God's, God's, the Greek is poema, where we get the word poem from. Poema. A poema or a poem is any work of art that expresses the maker's wisdom and design. So the church being God's masterpiece means that as God's masterpiece, he works himself into us to make us to make us those who express his infinite wisdom and divine design. Isn't that wonderful? So, you know, when I was, uh, when we were in Paris, saints wanted me to, they took me to the Louvre. L-O-U-V-R-E. Yeah, maybe you don't know what the Louvre is. I didn't either. But anyway, it's called the Louvre. The Louvre. And some of you are very aesthetic. You know exactly what I'm talking about. Probably you've been there. It is the chief art museum in the whole world. Oh, it's even, it's the way it's shaped. It's made, it has glass. It's just absolutely beautiful. I'm not aesthetic at all. So they said, you know, I'm in Paris. You know, I, I, I better at least see the Louvre. And so in my being, I said, just take me to see the Mona Lisa and I'm happy. You know, uh, so I saw the Mona Lisa, just a woman smiling a little bit, you know, uh, (laughs) not like you saints. She's not smiling like this, glowing with God, you know. But anyway, it's a work of art. Who painted that? Who painted that? Do you remember? Who? Who? Da Vinci. Wow, what a genius. What a, is there any Da Vinci's here? No. But he painted the Mona Lisa, right? Well, we can't paint the Mona Lisa, but we're part of God's masterpiece. Think about that. Is God's masterpiece better than the Mona Lisa? Of course it is. So I was looking at the Mona Lisa. And then I went into another room with all this modern art, you know, cubes and all this stuff. Looks like someone is just throwing a bucket of paint on a canvas. 
I mean, my goodness, it, I think it feels like I can do that. Just give me a bucket of paint. I'm Jason Pollock. You know, <laughs> you might not know. I know about him. I don't know. Anyway, but anyway, um, I don't understand that. I, I almost felt like I didn't do this, but you know how people, they stand in front of a work of art. They'll stand there for like 20 or 30 minutes, just looking at the, looking at the painting, looking, looking, looking. I felt like, 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 you know, unbeknownst to them coming up to their side and, and looking at the painting with them and then saying to them, have you seen the masterpiece of God? <laughs> you know what they would say? What room is that in? <laughs> Here, this is the room that the masterpiece of God, masterpiece of God is in tonight, right? Okay, anyway. Um, now, now uh, saints, it says that this masterpiece was created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand in order that we would walk in them. Now, don't worry, I'm going to finish the outline and give you plenty of time to, to, to share. But I want to share with you something I discovered from the ministry. Good works, which God has prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Now, we've heard the ministry say many times, the word does not want a good man. He wants a God man, right? But here it says, the Lord prepared us for good works. How do you explain that? How do you explain this verse? Matthew 19, 17, only God is good. Why do we say God doesn't want a good man? He wants a God man when only God is good. Okay, brothers and sisters, there are three kinds of good in the Bible. Three kinds of good. This is a new discovery to me. The first kind of good was the good when God created man. When God created man, he said, very good. Am I right? God saw everything that he had made, especially man in his image, representing him with his dominion. And he said, very, God saw, not just that it was good, but that it was very good. Listen, when God says something is very good, it is very good. So the first kind of good is the good with man at his creation. The second kind of good uh I would say, came into existence after man fell. And that good is the good of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. That good there is the second kind of good. That good there comes from the satanic life. And that good, we can say, if you if you read Ephesians 4, 18, it says that, it says, do not walk as the Gentiles walk, in the vanity of their mind, alienated from the life of God. In other words, it's possible for us as believers to walk in the vanity of our mind. And here we have the life of God in our spirit, but we don't take care of the life of God in our spirit. We don't ex experience and enjoy the life of God in our spirit. So the good that comes out of us is a false good. It's a false good. It comes from the satanic life. Now, so it's devoid of the life of God, that kind of good. Another aspect is it's devoid of spirit. It's devoid of spirit. Remember in Jude 19, uh, Jude says this, 
These are those who make divisions, soulish, having no spirit. That means they're devoid of spirit. That doesn't mean they cease to have a spirit as a part of their tripartite being, but they didn't use their spirit. They didn't care for their spirit. They didn't exercise their spirit. So it was as if they had no spirit. And because they had no spirit, they were soulish, which means everything they did, they did. They lived by their soul. They acted by their soul. Everything was by their soul. And what's the chief part of the soul? The chief part of the soul is the mind, right? So they neglected their spirit totally. So the Lord through, through Jude says, these people have no spirit. So this kind of good that comes out of the satanic life, the good of the no- tree of the knowledge of good and evil, is this kind of good is hypocrisy. It's hypocrisy. It's, oh, this he's a good guy. He's a good guy. You know, before I got saved, people said, Ed's a good guy. I wasn't a good guy. I was a terrible guy. You know, um, it's hypocrisy. People think you're good, but you know you're not. You know when you go to sleep at night, you're really not good. You know what I mean? It's hypocrisy. It's the good that comes out of the satanic life. But there is a third kind of good. Only God is good. That's the third kind of good. The good, the good who is God himself. So in Matthew 5, 16, you remember the Lord says this, let your light shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. Now, I would substitute this way. Let them see your God works. You see, only God is good. So that's the good that is God himself, you see. Isn't that wonderful to see those three kinds of good? That comes from the resumption of Watchmanese East Ministry, book one. You know, we have resumption of Watchmanese East Ministry in two books, book one, book two. Book two is in the Collective Works of Watchmanese. Book one was printed separately. Better get a copy of that. Three kinds of, Brother Lee shared that message, you know, as he, as the Lord was using him to recover uh, Brother Nee's ministry. Okay, now, I'll read quickly now. He says, the four Gospels show the pattern of the life that God desires, the mold of the life that can satisfy God and fulfill his purpose. To learn Christ is to be molded into the pattern of Christ, to be conformed to the image of Christ. In his life on earth, He set up a pattern as revealed in the four Gospels. Then he was crucified and resurrected. I like this. First, he sets up a pattern. Then he's crucified. Then he's resurrected to become the life-giving spirit so that he might enter into us to be our life. So that life is a duplication of the life we see in the Gospels. See that? So I'll read on. We learn from him, according to his example, not by our natural life, but by him as our life in resurrection. Two, I like this. As we love the Lord, do you love the Lord? Can we say, Lord Jesus, I love you right now? Lord Jesus, I love you. Saints, say that every day. When you wake up in the morning, don't look at the uh, the clock and say, oh, no. 
Say, oh, Lord, and add to the Lord. Oh, Lord Jesus, I still love you, Lord. Oh, Lord Jesus, I love you. So as we love the Lord, contact him and pray to him, we automatically, not with a lot of trying, but automatically, we live him according to the mold, the form, the pattern described in the Gospels. In this way, we are shaped, conformed to the image of this mold. This is what it means to learn Christ. Three says our Christian life is a life in Christ and also a life of Christ in us. We are in Christ as the mold, and he is in us as our life. In this way, we learn Christ as the reality is in Jesus. This reality is the reality of the body of Christ. So if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Paul said, I know a man in Christ. That was him. Then he says, in Colossians 1.27, he uses this term Christ in you, right? And he says, uh, I am crucified Christ with Christ. It's no longer I live, but it is Christ who lives in me. That's the Christian life. We are in Christ. Christ is in us. All right, now, Jesus says the reality of the body of Christ is the corporate living of the perfected God-men who live the divine life of their new man by denying the natural life of their old man according to the model of Christ as the first God-man. These perfected God-men live a meal-offering church life. Saint, there is one life study in the life study of Leviticus title of it is The Meal Offering Church Life. Oh, I love that life study, The Meal Offering Church Life. So you have a meal offering church life, a spirit-filled, resurrection-saturated, cross-purifying human living as a duplication of Christ's human living. Saints, again, we need to pray this. We need to pray, Lord, grant me to have a spirit-filled human living. Lord, Grant me to have a resurrection-saturated human living, and grant me to have a cross-purifying human living. Anyway, he will do that. All right, now, let's go to point H. These perfected God-men who are genuine men who do not live by their life, but by the fully, I'm sorry, these perfected God-men are genuine men who do not live by their life, but by the fully dignified life of the process God, whose attributes are expressed through their virtues. Corporately, I love this, they are Jesus living again on the earth in his divinely enriched humanity. Isn't that glorious? All right, let's come to Roman numeral two. The reality of the body of Christ is the spirit of reality, who is the Spirit of Jesus, Spirit of Jesus in Acts 16, 7, mingled with our spirit. The Spirit of Jesus includes the reality in Jesus, which is the God-man living of Jesus. He says this spirit of reality makes everything of the process triune God a reality in the body of Christ. The Spirit of reality in us guides us into the reality of the life of the body of Christ, which is the reality of living a God-man life by the divine life. He says the all-sufficient God 
as the spirit of reality dwelling in our spirit to be joined as as one mingled spirit is the secret to all that the process triune God is to the body of Christ. In order to live in the reality of the body of Christ, I love this, we must know, we must use, and we must exercise our spirit. So we have to pray, Lord, I want to know. I want to be a person who knows my spirit. I want to be a person who uses my spirit, and I want to be a person who exercises my spirit. And that's why in every chapter of Ephesians, our spirit is mentioned. Ephesians 1.17, a spirit of wisdom and revelation. Ephesians 2.22, the church is the dwelling place of God in spirit. In Ephesians 3, uh, in Ephesians 3.5, it says the mystery of Christ is revealed to us in spirit, in our spirit. In Ephesians 3.16, it says we are strengthened into our inner man. And our inner man is our spirit with God's life as its life. And then you've got Ephesians uh, 4.23, we're renewed in the spirit of our mind. That's where the mingled spirit spreads to our mind, saturates our mind, becomes the spirit of our mind. Ephesians 5.18 says we are filled, being filled in the spirit. Ephesians 6.18 says we need to pray at every time in spirit. So all of these verses, you know, brothers, you dear brothers on the end here, I hope one time, just, just remember this maybe a couple of weeks from now, take these verses here, beginning with Ephesians 1.17, Ephesians 6.18, take a long walk with the Lord and pray these verses back to the Lord. Say, Lord, give me a spirit of wisdom and revelation. Lord Jesus, thank you the church is a dwelling place of God in the spirit. Lord, I like to be in my spirit. So I can be your dwelling place in reality. You see, so hope you would do this. And when I say I hope you would do this, I've done this. And I, I, I still do this. I mean, these verses are priceless. You know, Peter, you remember, brother, he gave a lot of messages on this in the life study of Ephesians on the on the mingled spirit in, in Ephesians. Okay. C says the spirit of reality is the totality of all the attributes of the process trying God. The spirit of reality is the effectiveness of all the processes of the process trying God. Now, I like D. The spirit of reality dwelling in our regenerated spirit is joined as one spirit with our spirit. He was joined to the Lord as is one spirit. I like this word joined. You see, uh, this spirit of reality is joined as one spirit with our spirit. Now, listen to this. We should have our whole being turned to and set on this joined spirit, this joined spirit, living and walking according to this joined spirit. One says, when we thus live in this joined spirit, saying that, just that, those two words, joined spirit, is so enlightening. He was joined to the Lord, is one spirit. Where are we joined to the Lord? In our spirit. Our spirit is a joined spirit. Our spirit is joined to the Lord, and the Lord is the spirit, right? So we're our spirit is joined to the Lord, and the Lord is the spirit. So our spirit is a joined uh, spirit. 
when we live in this joy and spirit, we live out the reality of the body of Christ to become the corporate expression of Christ. We must live and speak in the reality of the body of Christ. That is in the spirit. When we are in the spirit, we are in the oneness because the oneness is the spirit. He says, when we live in the mingled spirit, we are learning Christ according to the reality in Jesus by the spirit of reality. I like this next uh, sentence. We learn from him as our model so that his biography becomes our history. How about that? His biography in the Gospels becomes our history in our daily life. The living of the body of Christ as the new man should be exactly the same as the living of Jesus revealed in the Gospels. Then Roman number three says John 6.57 reveals how the reality that is in Jesus, the God-man living of Jesus, can become the reality of the body of Christ, which is the corporate God-man living of the new man as the duplication of the God-man living of Jesus. So A says this, John 6.57a says, As the living Father has sent me, and I live because of the Father, this is the reality that is in Jesus, the God-man living of Jesus. Okay, now look, one says this. Okay, before I read this, in, in Isaiah 7.14, it says this, The Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin will conceive and will bear a son, and she will call his name Emmanuel. That is the birth of Jesus as the God-man. Now, what I never saw before until I read Brother Nee's message is verse 14 shows us his birth. Verse 15 shows us his human living. What does verse 15 say? It says, he will eat butter and honey. That is the Lord's human living. Now, our recovery version says he will eat curds and honey. But you can also translate it, he will eat butter and honey. And um, anyway, I'll come back to this. He will eat butter and honey until he knows how to refuse evil and choose good. Now, Brother Nee has a message. Collecting Works of Watchman Nee, Volume 17, Issue Number 16. The title of that message is The Power of Choosing. The Power of Choosing. Now, how was the, how was the Lord Jesus in his human life, human living, able to re- refuse evil and choose, and choose good? You know, everything other than God is evil. Only God is good. So he refused evil. He always chose good. Now, if you look in Ephesians in Romans 12, in Romans 12, 2, it talks about the good, well-pleasing, and perfect will of God. We have to choose that good will and well-pleasing, perfect will of God. That is the that God's will there is the body life in the church life. But saints, for us to for us to choose God's will, it takes power. You see, we have to have power the power of choosing. Where do we get this power from? We get this from eating heavenly butter and heavenly honey. Now, saints, don't worry about cholesterol in the divine and mystical realm. You need to eat more and more and more heavenly butter. 
Oh, I remember when I was in Taipei in 1980. Was it 1984, Dawn? 1987. 87. You and I were teammates, right? And I remember at our dinner table, there was Anchor Butter. Am I right? Do they still have Anchor Butter in New Zealand? Oh, that that's the best butter. That, when I had that butter on my bread, I said, this is better butter than anything we have in America. Anchor Butter. Wonderful. It's not heavenly butter, though. Okay, but anyway, look. Jesus lived because of the Father, enjoying the Father continually as the heavenly butter, typifying the richest grace, and as the heavenly honey, typifying the sweetest love, to be the supplying factor of his living, the Father, and the empowering factor of his obeying the Father to choose the Father's perfect will. Now, uh, I am using the word butter because, you know, I talk with Carrie about this, and courage is actually the best translation. The problem is, is that when you translate the word courage into Chinese, it's translated as cheese. Am I right, Tolman? <laughs> you don't know. Okay. <laughs> okay. It's translated as cheese. Um, so if you look in the Chinese recovery version, you know, it's, it, it might say he will eat cheese and honey until he knows. I was there. Oh, Lord Jesus. Anyway, <clears throat> I told some of the translators, not all the translators, I said, you've got to translate. Cheese is not a good translation. He will eat. Cheese is not the richest grace. You know, butter is the anchor. Butter is a type of the richest grace. Okay, now, you know, I talked to Carrie about this. Brother Nee used butter in his message. You know why? Look at this. See ASV 1901. ASV 1901 is the word butter. Best English translation apart from the recovery version. Darby's new translation uses butter. King James Version uses butter. We use curds, and curds is good because a lot of you know, know about cows, right? I don't know about cows, but there's probably lots of cows in New Zealand, right? Lots of sheep in New Zealand. I was flying in. I looked at, look at all those sheep down there. Oh, it's so cool. I look out in America. I don't see any sheep. You know, I see all these sheep. And there's a lot of cows, right? And how many stomachs does a cow have? Four stomachs. One stomach is enough for me. Okay, four stomachs. So it goes from stomach to stomach, right? And the cow eats grass. And then, um, you know, eventually what's produced is curds, right? Which is, it's the top part of the milk. The top part of it, the richest part of the milk, right? And I heard it tastes delicious. Have any of you eaten curds? Yeah, I see some of you doing this. You don't want to raise your hand. That's okay. All right. Is, is it good, sister? Wow, I need to eat it sometime. Uh, but I do eat butter. <laughs> See, she said it's very good. That means it tastes delicious. Okay, so our translation says he will eat curds and honey. But I used uh, ASV 1901 uh, Darby because the Chinese Union version also uses butter. And so... Uh, 
butter is more in line with the with the uh the richest grace. You see, when we, we think of butter, that but when we think of cheese, I don't know if that's the richest grace, but anyway, it's okay. No, it's not okay. <laughs> Actually, curds is the richest grace, but if you translate it into cheese, you got you know, sometimes you can't translate literally. You know, if you do, people go, What are you talking about? You know, I remember I'm speaking in, in Japan in Tokyo, and I'm, I'm sharing, and I'm telling this story. And, you know, you look at the audience. You can tell if they understand or not. And so I'm sharing, and the audience is like. And then the brothers on the front row, the Japanese brother go, going to a translator, brother, stop that. It's this. Da, 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 da. And they say the word in Japanese, and the translator goes, Oh, you know, you know, the the Japanese culture, I love the Japanese, but they don't want to lose face. They don't want to lose face. So even if he didn't understand what I was saying, he would still translate it. Oh, I love those brothers. Okay, anyway. All right. So saints, we need to eat heavenly butter and heavenly honey every day. We need to enjoy the Lord as our richest grace and sweetest love to be our supplying factor, not just of Christ's living, but of our living, and the empowering factor, not only of his obeying of the Father, but of our obeying him and the Father to do the Father's perfect will. So, um, okay, two says essentially the same thing. I want to go a little bit quicker here. Let's come down to B. Isn't that good? Don't you want to have heavenly butter and heavenly honey every day? Amen. The richest grace and the sweetest love to empower you to choose the Father's will. Amen. It's not easy sometimes to choose the Father's will. The Lord says, move to Wellington. So I don't want to move to Wellington. I like it here in Hamilton. Well, the Lord says, oh, there's a dear brother from Wellington. Well, he was meeting with us before the meeting. Where's that brother? Oh, Sean, yeah. Sean is from Wellington. I, I love Brother Sean. You know, um, I remember him from last year. And uh, anyway, I don't want to flatter Sean. I don't want you to become proud, Sean. But Sean enjoys the Lord. He's from Wellington. But Sean, just think, you don't have to think too much about this, but what if you were praying one day and the Lord said, Sean, I want you to move to Dunedin. Would Jesus say, amen, hallelujah, Lord? Maybe not. Maybe you would struggle with the Lord. Say, Lord, is that your voice? Did you really say you want me to move to Dunedin? Okay, at that time, you, you need to pray. Make sure it's the Lord speaking. Fellowship with the buzz. And then you need the Lord to be your heavenly butter and your heavenly honey. You need him to be your richest grace and your sweetest love so that you can make that choice, which is his choice, you know, to move or to what, whatever he wants you to do, you know. Okay, so B says, John 6.57 says, he who eats me shall live because of me. So this is the reality of body of Christ. Now look at one. I love this. You know, some translation says, he who eats me, he shall live by me. Now one says, we do not live by Christ, taking Christ as our instrument. We live because of Christ, taking Christ as a supplying factor of our living. 
to live because of Christ as our food, we must eat him so that he can be the supplying and energizing factor to live in us and through us for the building up of his body as the perfect will of God. Then C says, the purpose of God in sending the Lord Jesus to be a man. Now, let me stop right there. If you go to any seminary, can they tell you the purpose of God in sending the Lord Jesus to be a man? Most of them would say, well, it was to die on the cross. Not a bad answer. But here's the real purpose. The purpose of God in sending the Lord Jesus to be a man was for him to live a God-man life by the divine life. See, that's the reality in Jesus, and that's the reality of the body of Christ. When we eat him, we live because of him to become a universal great man who is exactly the same as he is, a man living a God-man life by the divine life. Finally, saints, this corporate God-man living will make us a corporate model, the reality of the body. Such a model will be the greatest revival in the history of the church to bring the Lord back. How about that, Russell? I just, that's spectacular to me, brother. Okay, I will stop there. Uh, We have 15 minutes for testimonies. How about we stand up and say, Lord Jesus, I love you three times together. How about that?